0: Hey there! Welcome to Subject Matter Season 4, where we're discovering how to build a strong company culture. We're learning from fast-moving founders and CEOs, and how their cultures make customers want to work with them, and talent want to work for them, in some cases completely remotely. I'm your host, Ben Bradbury, the founder of Astutely, and our team is dedicated to supporting B2B leaders to build aligned company cultures at scale. And now, let's get into today's episode. Today's interview is with Brandy Whalen, the co-founder of Kitcaster, a podcast booking agency facilitating meaningful conversations at scale. She is a self-proclaimed shiny object chaser, constantly excited by new challenges and opportunities. Each day, Brandy gets to hear founder stories, entrepreneurial journeys, and ideas that are not fully formed, and her passion is helping her clients create and share compelling stories for companies of all shapes and sizes. On this interview, we'll learn how to assess for creativity in the candidates you're interviewing. And I'll give you a clue. It has something to do with desserts and kitchen utensils. We'll understand why communication between CEOs and their team is ultimately an assumption and how to close this gap of misunderstanding. And we'll learn how Brandy created a culture at Kitcaster where all team members openly share problems and wins fully remotely. This was a great interview and I hope you enjoy. Brandy, welcome to Subject Matter. It's great to have you here.
1: Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You are welcome. Well, I thought we could start by setting the stage for our listeners because Kitcasters had a pretty remarkable year in 2020, going from four employees up to 17 and counting. So How do you think the pandemic affected people's perception of podcasts and their role in creating thought leadership?
1: I think podcasts in general have seen a significant uptick in just growing in popularity and people changing the way that they're consuming media. As you can see, when people are walking around, we're typically connected to our AirPods or headphones. There's just constant input. So I think as a consumer we are more audio focused than anything else when the pandemic hit we saw a lot of organizations that were looking for other ways to really get in front of their audience you know whether that be a ceo a founder a maybe a hr department wanting to recruit how can we get in front of people when we can't attend events because it really just pulled back all of those opportunities for those C level executives to get in front of the people who they are always wanting to get in front of to highlight their expertise, to gain momentum and awareness amongst their customers. So we saw a significant uptick in people wanting to be on podcasts as a way to get in front of of the folks that might be an end user or potentially an employee. So that really changed our business quite significantly.
0: So let's go into that a little bit because there's a host of different digital platforms that people could use, whether that's an executive, a CHRO, to create connection with their audience. They could do a webinar, for example. They could do a virtual keynote What do you think it is about podcasting specifically as a medium that gives it a unique attraction for professionals looking to create connection with their audience?
1: So I think that podcasting creates this unique way to get in front of that audience in that you're getting interviewed by a professional. And oftentimes that professional has a really good understanding of your particular industry. Let's say you're in Artificial intelligence, for instance. You're going on a podcast that is geared all around artificial intelligence and all the different technology that's out there. So that podcast host is going to know the right questions to ask and really be able to dive deep into a, a concept so that there's a very clear understanding for the listener, how everything is built from a technology standpoint that I feel like, is often hard to really get across when you're just conducting a webinar and it creates this more dynamic conversation. You're not just talking at someone. As a listener, you're like tapping into a conversation that could be happening at a coffee shop. Maybe you're just eavesdropping. It's just this really intimate conversation that yes, there's usually a format that it's centered around, but it also can kind of go off into riff organically. So I just think it's a really unique way and very much different from a webinar.
0: It occupies an interesting space, which is, as you say, it's a very intimate discussion and it feels like you're just eavesdropping on two friends sometimes. As a medium, it occupies the space in between a couple of other choices of media that we might have to consume. And One of the analogies that you shared really stuck with me, which is this idea that podcast is the space between books and television. Could you explain that analogy, why a podcast would sit in between a book and a television show?
1: I'm an avid reader, and it was always so exciting to me when my favorite fiction novel would then turn into, whether it be a television series or a movie, I think like most people, I was always very disappointed because while I was reading, I would have this, I would develop a movie in my head. You know, there were characters, I had the voices. And then the movie was always, would always fall short for me because it was an extreme departure from what I had created myself. And I think that audio just sits right in the middle. There's still some curiosity involved in that where you hear voices talking, in your head, maybe you're playing out facial expressions, mannerisms. You can kind of tap into that imagination and creativity a little bit more. It kind of just sits so nicely in between those two spaces, especially when it comes to storytelling podcasts.
0: It's like the answers haven't already been given for you. Like in in the the book is almost this infinite canvas where you have the words as your guide the television stage the paintings already filled out you know all the colors all the textures but the podcast is in the middle it gives you a bit of context but there's still enough space to give your imagination room to play at the same time well if this didn't let our listeners know already you are pretty single-mindedly obsessed with podcasting and one of the things that really stuck out to me when we originally connected in what sets your agency Kitcaster apart is that you have a high level of detail to client services, what you called a client oriented culture. I'd be interested to hear how in the midst of scaling pretty significantly over the last year, how you've managed to ensure that your commitment to excellence in client services has remained a priority across the board for your team.
1: Well, for us, it's definitely a luxury to have a podcast booking agent, and we understand that. To be successful, we have to make our client feel really good. And part of this, too, is some vulnerability. For some of our clients, this might be something rather new to them. Maybe they have written a blog or they've maybe given a couple webinars, but to go on a podcast interview tour and be interviewed by many different podcast hosts, it can kind of tap some emotion and we understand that and really trying to prepare our clients and giving them little gifts. Like when they first sign on as a client, we send them a stack of conversation cards, which is just some questions that they might be asked on a podcast. Some of them are just about these big life concepts. What's your favorite book? If you had a time machine, what time period would you time warp into? Things to just kind of get them thinking about different directions that a conversation could potentially take while they're doing a podcast interview and making sure that we're always available to them because there are the vulnerability, big emotions that come up, especially as their first podcast interview date is coming near and they're starting to think about, what am I going to say? what is the interview format? So just helping them through what that's going to look like as much as possible and making sure that there's a lot of touch points and care along the way. And it's been really hard to scale and and to keep that level, but we've managed to do so. And, And of course, there's been missteps along the way where we're growing so fast and hiring new employees, training, making sure that everyone's maintaining that same level, but it's just this constant touch point with our team and also our customers that really keeps that moving forward in a positive way.
0: To take a very slight detour, I can't help but ask you this. Yeah. If you could interview anyone from any time period on your podcast, who would you pick and why?
1: Oh my goodness. Well, I'm going to go with Madeline Albright. I went and listened to her talk a few times and there was just something about the way that she thinks about everything in the world and how she articulates ideas that that would be my interview.
0: I think it's important there to call out the reason why Madeline would make such a good guest. It's because she has this ability to articulate her ideas. When we think about whether someone is a good fit for for us as an agency, our litmus test is if we pressed record on a voice note, could they speak for 30 minutes on their subject matter expertise without breaking a sweat? If the answer is yes, then they're probably a good fit to start building a brand around and to start creating culture at scale. And one of the things there is like, if you asked Madeline Albright, tell me about your time as Secretary of State. Like, How did you make this decision? Talk to me about what it was like in, in the White House. She would be able to rattle that off and your ears would just be engaged. So... It's worth bearing that in mind if you're thinking about a podcast, thinking about how well you can articulate your ideas because that's really the tipping point that will determine a good interview versus a great interview.
1: Yeah, I agree. And also she's a phenomenal storyteller, Mm -hmm. which makes for a great guest as
0: well. How do you think about storytelling as the co-founder of a team? So naturally as the the co-founder, CEO, you have to rally your team around a vision. You have to be the person pushing that North Star. So how does storytelling show up in the work that you do with the Kitcaster team?
1: So we feel really confident about podcasting being good for humanity. And I know that that sounds rather corny, but I believe it's the truth. And I think our team does too. Bringing together individuals to have a conversation is amazing and two individuals that have never met before and having this intimate 60 minute 90 minute conversation getting to know each other in a time where i think it's kind of hard to do that is a really great place to be we're actually launching a campaign this summer that is just all around celebrating the conversation and part of that is as a culture in our team, is when we have we have a weekly team meeting and we ask so that that stack of conversation starters, we do that as a team. And it's a way to get to know each other, but also a way to tell stories about why we think a certain way, or if we're asked a question, you know, going back into time, what time period would you choose and why? And telling a story around that. So I think as a as a team, we're kind of we do that every week and then that carries through with what we think just is our is our vision and mission for our clients. We want all of our clients to have a great time going on podcasts because it should be.
0: The cards and the questions, they seem to me as a catalyst for good discussion they're like an icebreaker, but they also provide the context afterwards to keep the conversation going and to build connections. So could you walk us through how you use these question cards with your team? What format the meeting takes, whether that is asynchronous, so you're sending them over Slack or over email. Walk us through the, the workflow, if you like, of using these question cards to create connection with your team.
1: We usually throw the question in Slack in advance. Sometimes I'll give it to our team the night before. Sometimes it'll be one minute before the meeting starts. It completely depends. If I think it's going to need a little bit of time to think about and construct, I'll send it out well in advance. But we all hop on Zoom every Wednesday. We had a a meeting this morning, and that's really how we start the meeting somebody usually volunteers to go first and then we popcorn it. So they go and then they popcorn it to someone else. It really just kind of opens it up for discussion. And a lot of times if there's a place that somebody can maybe agree, like, oh yeah, me too. Like that's where I would go or that's what I would do. And I feel the same way, but I also think like this, like something to build upon, it's really a neat way for Everyone to come together around a concept and have different views, but sometimes they're very much aligned.
0: So the the key mechanic there is that it before you go into meet in person, there's been a level of context which you've created on Slack first to prime people for the conversation. I think that's very important for people to understand. Here is you're not blindsiding someone with a question that they're not expecting. The team is very much planting the seed first saying, "Okay, guys, at our all hands meeting, we're going to discuss this and it gets your subconscious bubbling on it so that by the time you do come to that meeting, everyone's had a day or two or a week to actually digest the question and come with fresh thoughts.
1: I have never given the team a week. I'm sure they would love to have a week. <laughs> <laughs> this okay, morning, 24 yeah, hours. Yeah, 24 hours. Um, I think this morning I was about five minutes before the meeting. It's kind of fun to do that too, where people have to think on their toes a bit. I think it's nice to be able to marinate and come up with well-thought-out ideas, but also When we're going on a podcast interview, we are thrown questions that maybe we didn't anticipate. So it's important to have that skill set too.
0: I think there's something really interesting around this idea of having a habit that conditions your team to think on their toes and to be a little bit resourceful when you need to. How do you think about that with building kitcaster because on the one hand you have to have these very tight systems that run efficiently in order to deliver a consistently great service and scale but then on the other hand every client is different every client has a set of unique needs and sometimes there will be curveballs that come at your team that require them to think on their feet so how do you think about balancing this need for very tight infrastructure with the need to have a team that can be resourceful and think on their toes?
1: I actually prep our team on this all the time. And even when we're interviewing for new team members, the same. It's a delicate dance because it takes creativity to do what we do. And it also is process oriented. And a lot of times those two things are hard to find in a single individual. We often see folks who are very process driven and have a really hard time switching over to the creative side of things. And that can often be just exhausting to toggle back and forth that way. So it's really one of the things that we look for when we bring somebody on to our team is, do they have a healthy balance of both? If they're pure analytical, it's going to be really hard to work in that creative zone, which is also very important in the, in the role of a booking agent.
0: How would you vet for creativity in an interview? So if you're trying to assess how resourceful someone can be or how creative they can be, what are the questions you might ask or examples that you're looking for, experience you're looking for that would demonstrate this aptitude for creativity?
1: We ask a question in every interview, and it is, if you were a dessert, what would you be and why? Sometimes we also ask, if you were a kitchen utensil, what would you be and why? It makes people have to think on their toes. And also, we gauge a lot based on what they say and how creative they can get and what kind of explanation they provide. We also always have our candidates send us a pitch, like pitch us. If we have this sample client, we send them like, here is someone that wants to be on X, Y, and Z podcasts. How would you position them? Which podcast would you choose and why? And that tells us a lot on both sides, whether it's the podcast that they choose and the reasoning Sometimes it just it's very logical, and sometimes it's like, oh wow, they actually they dug in really deep here. They thought outside of the box. Like this wouldn't seem obvious to most people, but they they went below the surface and they were able to pull something that that makes sense. But it just it wasn't it isn't something that I think most people would probably choose.
0: I love this. I think there's a couple of interesting parts. Of this one is that the dessert question, which I'm definitely going to have to mull over. I'm stuck between raspberry cheesecake and chocolate eclair right now. But I'm I'm trying to figure out the application of the question is actually to test their creative muscle. And then you have another question, which is the creative muscle applied to a real challenge or a real process that you already have so on the one hand you're able to understand how they would operationally perform in a role what their thought process is for that but then on the other hand you're looking to assess character and see how creative actually is this individual because i would wager that the question on delivering a pitch that's very useful for the short term to see how this person could potentially perform in the role. But the question on whether you're a dessert or a kitchen utensil, that's really useful for the long term to understand someone's creative process and to say, well, if we're to zoom out and give them a really meaty challenge in 12 months, two years, how are they going to approach that? That could be one of the the data points that gives you context on that.
1: It's really fascinating, actually. And you can kind of get through, it's usually one of the last questions that we ask. And in advance, I'm kind of anticipating Mm. like how it's going to be received. And it's, I'm, I'm never right. (laughs) (laughs) So It's an interesting question.
0: Are there any answers that have particularly stuck with you? Any standout kitchen utensils or desserts that you thought, man, that is a, that is a seriously compelling explanation.
1: One that stands out is a whisk being a kitchen utensil. And it was interesting because I was like, oh yeah, like that's kind of a understated kitchen utensil. It, you know, it's, it's there, it's in my drawer. I don't use it all that often, but when I do, I'm no. always really happy that I have it. It was an interesting choice and they were able to, it was an immediate delivery. It's like they knew exactly what kitchen utensil they were going after and the explanation was just spot on.
0: Yeah, the, there's also, I think something there around the, the speed of response and the confidence that you have in the response. It's like the, the nice thing about the question is that there's no right answer. You're really trying to understand how they reason and their thought process. And if they are confident in saying why they're a whisk, that's a good signal of self-belief. Whereas if they're kind of dabbling between the spatula and the fork and they're not sure whether there's a bit of rolling pin in there, then that tells you that perhaps there's, they don't understand their own strengths as well as perhaps another candidate might.
1: Yeah, and as far as the dessert goes, one was an ice cream sandwich, which was interesting with sprinkles on the outside.
0: And that just, sounds delicious.
1: It does sound
0: delicious.
1: <laughs> so that was, and it was another one that was immediate that I was like, "Oh, that's really that's interesting." Um, and just this like hard, like more of a hard exterior, and then as you each layer is a little bit of a a bite is a surprise. Um, Oh, I like that. That was an interesting one, too.
0: So when you've got the team together, so looking now at the Kitcaster team that you've got, one of the things that we talked about previously is how you use Slack to spark these question cards and to ask questions to your team before the all-hands meeting. Another application that you mentioned that I thought was really interesting when we last spoke was how you use slack to troubleshoot client problems now it's it's worth pointing out for our listeners that kitcaster is a remote team so you're a distributed workforce you're not able to all physically be in the same office as so many of the people who listen to subject matter are after the pandemic so could you talk us through how you use slack as a tool to troubleshoot client problems and to keep coming back to this core differentiator of creating a client first culture and a high level of detail committed to client service
1: we use slack all day every day and we like many companies do and breaking it out into different channels just depending on your role the main channel that we are leveraging is for all of the booking agents and Anytime that anyone has any sort of issue, or even just maybe needs a another set of eyes on an email, or if there's something that they think could be improved in the process, or something that they've tested out that's different than we we have been doing and it's been working for them, always encouraging everyone. And I feel like people heavily use Slack and feel very comfortable to just throw anything there. And immediately, everyone's chiming in with some feedback. And also, if there is, let's say, a podcast host that we've worked with in the past that has reached out and asked for a specific type of guest, looking for a guest that can speak to XYZ topic, we can leverage Slack to communicate all of that information to the whole team and get pretty immediate responses. So we're on Slack all the time. We have a sales team as well. So we have a sales channel and it's the same thing. And we'll even, when somebody has some success, they immediately are just, we are just all about sharing best practices. And let's constantly pivoting if we feel like this is the best direction for us to be heading based on what somebody else has experienced.
0: This isn't something that naturally is created when a company is born. The ability to encourage your team to show up and to share, that's something quite special because there are many companies out there where people don't feel able or comfortable enough to bring their whole selves to work, let alone spark open discussions. The, the culture doesn't allow for that. What do you think it is that you and Kitcaster does that allows your team to feel very instinctively comfortable in sharing on Slack? Does that show up, for example, in recurring meetings? Is that part of the the onboarding? How do you nurture this sense of comfort in sharing what's on their mind remotely?
1: We're always encouraging everyone to share ideas. And I think coming from leadership as well. So myself and my co-founder, Ryan, we're always asking for feedback. So if we are putting something or going to be putting something out into the world. We'll put it on Slack to the whole team. Hey, we just wrote this article. What do you think? Any thoughts? What did we forget? Anything that we're doing, we are always asking for feedback and I think that really sets the tone for the team to do the same. When we are bringing somebody on that that going through the training process, it's always encouraged ask questions, ask the team. The team is here. We're a collaborative environment. It's just really kind of built in from day one. And I think it was something just in the beginning that was really important to us because we had never seen an agency like this before. I mean, it was really something that we had to develop from the ground up. With that, making sure that we're always touching base with our team to say, you know, here's what we think is what we think what you think (laughs) and is this what you're Mm. seeing it's always this constant touch point like we have some assumptions and and everyone does but are those assumptions validated with what's actually happening
0: i like the way that you frame communication as an assumption to say that you have one picture one lens of how the company's operating as the co-founder and from where you are in the organizational structure that's going to look very different to someone else who's in the weeds. I think Daniel Ek, the CEO of Spotify, has a really interesting model for this. And they're obviously probably the world's biggest audio-only company at this stage. And the way that Ek sees his leadership model is to imagine that he's flying in a plane, and when he's assessing a problem, to get a 30,000-foot view. And then he will actually go and become the CXO of that department for a day or for a week to learn it. And that's when you zoom in and you see parts of the city or you see contours on the hill. And eventually you're getting right down into the streets and into the buildings of the people who are operating it. And that model I think applies here to say that you as the co-founder and the, the CEOs, if any of you listening are, you're in your plane looking over the, the landscape of your business. And so the way that you see something is going to be conditioned by the perspective that you have. And you have to have a constant check in with your team who are closer to the source. Maybe they operate a part of the building or they operate a certain piece of land that you're looking at and to say, hey, this is what I'm seeing, but is that what's actually happening on the ground? Can you confirm this? And almost to have this relay effect between the communications, so that everyone else has an aligned vision for where the company needs to go and where the company is right now as well.
1: I think the bigger you get, the harder that is. And it's really important as you're growing to make sure that you keep that view, but that you're always taking a dive down to make sure that that view is about, va- is, is valid and that people are being heard too. You have people that are doing a specific job and you may have outlined what that looks like, but as they get into it, And as that role continues to develop, or maybe changes, just making sure that everyone's on the same page. And I think it's really easy to lose sight of that and not be in touch with what's actually happening.
0: One of the things that came up the last time we spoke is what you have learned from your previous agency. You have also founded Wayland Media, a PR firm. And one of the things that you've just shared there around making sure you're you're communicating, I'm sure that that is something that you've learned over the years from operating agencies. And I think it would be interesting to dig into the comparison here, because in preparing for this, I was looking at some of the other podcasts you've done. And I think one of the interesting ideas that came out of it is that podcasts are like the modern PR. They're like the evolution of where PR has gone to. What is your previous experience running a PR agency? How did that inform your mindset and how you approached building Kitcaster when it was time to start your second agency?
1: PR has traditionally been always focused on media, but that media landscape has looked a lot different. As consumers of media, that has also change significantly. We are no longer really sitting down and reading publications. Some of us do, but that's just not a tendency that that most do anymore and you know whether it's an online forum, quick snippets where you can just briefly skim and glean some information. Just the way that we're consuming and connected, our lives are moving fast. They slowed down for some time, but they're kicking back up again. We're connected and we're connected with our AirPods and our headphones and we're listening. What I saw in just my PR business and what I heard from clients is they could do maybe an interview with a trade publication and have a few quotes in an industry magazine. And then they would go on a podcast and their face would light up it was something that they enjoyed doing it was not only enjoyable for them but i think it also got a lot of a lot more leverage you know they were able to post it on their linkedin accounts it was something that they could then later transcribe the interview into a blog post just different ways that they could repurpose the content and what the outcome was and how people responded to it was just more significant and then for it to be enjoyable to them on top of it and developing relationships. I think a lot of what I was seeing with my PR clients is that they would even start to connect with the podcast hosts. So after the interview, they would stay in in touch and they were in the same industry. Typically it was almost just like a a really great networking tool as well. That was really what led me to thinking, let's just go down this path podcast road and just look strictly here and nowhere else. And my co-founder, he ran a podcast in Denver, Colorado, and then also a marketing agency. So him coming with that lens and then me with the PR background, it was just a really nice partnership and the way that we were able to grow.
0: You mentioned the the benefits of podcasts. So you talked about networking, there's the obvious distribution, getting onto someone's audience, there's potential monetization through sponsorships or through placements. How do you think about calculating ROI for a podcast? The use case here is not your mega podcasters of the world with hundreds of thousands of downloads. This is like a founder or CEO who is perhaps curious about podcasting, but is not sure where the ROI would come, how would you go about calculating or quantifying the potential impact of a podcast?
1: When you're a sophisticated business owner or company, and you think about all the different ways that you're getting in front of potential customers, or even just wanting to make sure that you're recognized and noticed as the best in your industry. I think that that is the the true value in podcasting. It's very much this expertise lens that you are going into the interviews with. That's the ROI for us. And will you go on a podcast and get a hundred new customers? I don't know, but will you go on a podcast and be able to explain your process and talk about your knowledge in depth? Absolutely. And it will continue to increase your visibility, continuing to build you up as a leader in your specific industry, more so than, I think, any other medium.
0: There's a nice synergy as well when, when you talk about explaining your process and sharing knowledge in depth, which is that there are some very, very high signal blogs out there, some very deep dive industry blogs, in whichever industry, honestly, you're, you're concerned with. But the mm-hmm. difference is that with a podcast, you can hear that person actually talk through it. So you can read about Kitcaster's commitment to client service, or you can hear Brandy actually talk about how that commitment shows up in her all hands, how they use question cards. You get to kind of peel back the curtain on the personality. The personal touch really can't be underestimated here. And I know one of the things that you have mentioned before is that you're a big believer in the personal touch with communicating with employees, not just having everything digital, but actually sending them physical things that they can touch, they can open, they can read. Why is this personalization or this emphasis on personalization important to you? And how does this philosophy show up at Kitcaster?
1: So it started off with just our thinking about our clients and building out an experience for them. It's so great to get something. And when you engage with a company or an agency, and they kind of take it a step further, like sending the conversation cards, sending another gift, like halfway through the engagement, sending personalized postcards, it's fun. And it, it just adds this next layer of showing that you care and are committed. And I think that that very much carries over into how you treat your staff and your team coming together and just showing care and respect. We actually, our director of marketing, she was like, you know what? We send out postcards to podcast hosts that we have our clients interview with and our clients. Why are we not sending them out to each other? I was like, that's a great idea. So Mm. she packaged up, she made different postcards for our internal team and packaged them up with stamps. So it was very easy. You didn't have to do anything besides just simply write something and send it to anyone. We made like, you know, everyone has each other's address and it's so fun to actually get mail that's enjoyable. That's not a bill or something that you didn't ask for sent to you is amazing. It seems that most of our team has a lot of creative talent, whether they're musicians, artists, writers, they have something, another passion typically. And one of our team members, she's a phenomenal artist. And she sent a postcard with a, she hand drew a picture of a car because our, another team member, she builds cars (laughs) Uh, in her free time. She'll like redo old cars and has built one from scratch so she drew a picture and sent it and it's like taped up on in her space now and it's like a whole different level of care and appreciation for each other
0: that's powerful i do want to come back to this this level of care and appreciation in a minute but one observation that struck me you you said that a lot of our team have creative talent and creative pursuits outside of work I think it's important to underscore that this isn't a coincidence. This is baked into the culture that you've created, given the interview cues, questions that we talked about earlier on, if you were a dessert, what would you be? If you were a kitchen utensil, what would you be? The fact that you have these self-select creative folks, I don't think it's a surprise that you have this cauldron of creativity bubbling underneath Kitcaster and whatever you do.
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think just the our whole process just pulls those individuals in. But it's pretty cool to see because there's always like, there are some folks that are coming into the office and we have, we do have a handful of musicians and occasionally they'll just like break out in song and be like creating a little, a little beat on the table. So it's, Obviously didn't know each other before joining the company, but when they come together and they start talking about music and then and then seeing that progression, it's awesome
0: <laughs> that must be inspiring to be around I think the the underscoring of creativity here is certainly one half of the equation, if you like, and one of the last things I wanted to touch on today was the other side of very broadly, the attributes that you're looking for in team members, which is people who are driven, who can get the job done, who are operationally skilled, understand process. And one of the, the things that you mentioned when we spoke last time was that a lot of your team have actually memorized time zones. Can you talk us through why so many members of your team have memorized time zones and what impact that has on your business?
1: As you can imagine, we have clients all over the country, the world, and part of what we do for our clients is not only are we presenting them and their stories to podcasts, but we're also coordinating interviews. We do all of the legwork when it comes to scheduling. So it's a rare situation when we get two people in the same time zone. It's actually very rare for us. It's like something that we celebrate. So it's just given that you are, you know, initially I can, I can kind of see, and we definitely have given some tools. Like if you need to calculate the time difference, use this website, use this app, but as time goes on, everyone just has a memorization of like where clients are. Oh, they're, they're Pacific standard time. And this podcast, Eastern time. So just having to like on the fly, be able to to know those things, or especially if we're working in New Zealand, for instance, we had a client there and we've worked with podcasts and it's quite significant, the time difference. I mean, of course, there's going to be issues. We've made mistakes bound to happen, scheduling thousands of interviews. But considering how many podcasts we're scheduling, it's incredible to me how few mistakes happen in that the scheduling and time Mm. zone differences
0: and also as a service business as an agency you're essentially selling time you're making people more efficient as part of the the value proposition and so even if there are a few mistakes along the way which happens in in every business the efficiency that you create by being able to mentally schedule someone who's six hours behind or seven hours ahead that all adds up and when you can make the most of your minutes that elevates the the client experience to another level, which I think comes back to the client focus culture that you guys have, have been building.
1: It's nothing that I've ever considered as a value add. Of course, taking that time to schedule the recording is something that's significant for our clients, but the fact that we're able to just toggle back and forth of like, hey, we know you're in central time and we're scheduling you an interview in the UK. Mm-hmm you know, I don't think that's something that our clients even consider, but it's
0: yeah. just
1: not to, to coordinate.
0: Yeah. The fact that they don't, they don't have to consider it because it's second nature to you. That obviously, uh, improves the overall experience as well. Well, I think this has been a, a really interesting deep dive into Kitcaster, into your culture, how you approach things. So thank you for coming on. If people want to follow you and keep up with your journey online, where are the best places to follow you?
1: So you can always come to our website. It's kitcaster.com. So K-I-T-C-A-S-T-E-R. Also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Follow me on LinkedIn. I'm always open to conversations. I love just jumping on a call 15, 30 minutes even finding out about something new and, and different that I haven't learned about before is is always interesting to me. So those are a couple of different places that you can find us. Fantastic. Thank you, Ben.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Brandy.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate it.
0: Hey, it's Ben here. Just before you head off, one quick thing. This podcast teaches you the skill of empathetic communication. And if you're interested in accelerating your empathetic communication and to start applying it to your brand and business... We've created an actionable five-step checklist which breaks down the exact steps you need to take to unlock this skill and start creating messages that connect with your customers and employees' heads and hearts. You can download it for free over on our website, weareastutely.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time for another episode of Subject Matter.